this mission statement is to refresh the world, to inspire moments of optimism and happiness, to create value and make a difference. I wonder if any of you know which company this is. They're a huge billion-dollar company to refresh the world. This is actually the Coke company, <laughs> Coca-Cola. And that's why when you watch them on TV, you'll see commercials where there's like a, a polar bear, and they're always happy, and the commercials are meant to make you happy because that is their mission. Their whole slogan is open happiness, as if you can buy happiness in a bottle. All right, the next mission statement. Our mission is to bring humanity back to air travel. Now, this is an airline, as you might have guessed. But which airline is it? Is it your favorite or is it a different one? This is actually JetBlue. And you can see that they're trying to bring humanity back to air travel. That's why they give you snacks. That's why they give you free television. And yet, uh, I, I recently moved to Chelmsford, and one of my neighbors is actually a pilot for JetBlue, coolest job in the world. And uh, he tells me that they also practice a great deal of corporate responsibility. They're very good to their employees. And they also do a great deal of social uh, action. This one is a bit of an older kind of vision statement, but I think you're going to like it. And I've condensed this because it's really way too long, but these are the highlights of the vision statement. To see life, to see the world, to eyewitness great events, to see strange things, to see and be amazed. Maybe this is your eye doctor. <laughs> no, this is actually an older statement, and it is Life Magazine. Life Magazine. So those are a selection of the older covers for you. Uh, this movie is kind of displayed in the movie, uh, or this, this magazine is displayed in the movie The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, which I actually just got to watch last night. And you see him uh, kind of uh, the hero of the story learning to, to see life instead of sitting in his office. Next one. Now, this is a nonprofit, uh, and this one might be a little bit harder. To put Christian principles into practice through programs that build healthy spirit, mind, and body for all. So this is sort of a, a Christian organization that is all about health. Maybe you're thinking this is my local fitness center. Well, no. This is actually the YMCA. And if you can guess all of these before I do the big reveal, I will give you a free Bible in the back. <laughs> and so the YMCA is, uh, I grew up going to the YMCA, and we get to go swimming and play disc golf and roller skating Wonderful memories, and it's cool because their mission was just to spread joy, to spread health, even though they're a Christian organization. This is the final one. This is a longer one. or Two more. Uh, go ahead and switch it to the next one. I'm going to read it. The blank, an international movement, is an evangelical part of the universal Christian church. Its message is based on the Bible. Its ministry is motivated by the love of God. 
Its mission is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to meet human needs in his name without discrimination. There you go, Salvation Army. We had one person. Okay, he works there. Thank you. Let's, let's talk afterwards. So they do, they put their, their vision and their mission into practice. They do the, the Christmas uh, alleviation. They, do, uh, they, they help fight against human trafficking. They, they help find, uh, feed the hungry and find missing persons. So I'm going to show you, you one more vision and mission statement, and only a handful of you might be able to get this, and this is my personal favorite. The vision of this organization is a gospel-centered church that changes lives through sharing the message of Jesus Christ in word and deed. And the mission is to make, mature, and multiply followers of Jesus. Some of you are laughing because that is the vision and the mission statement of this church, Cornerstone Congregational Church. It's a bit pretentious to put us up there with Coke, I know. Uh, But this is the vision, kind of what we want to accomplish, what we want to become, and how we want to get there, our mission. This is the vision and the mission that God has given us as a team, as we come from Emmanuel Church, as we work here together, as you come and become a part of this community, this church, this too can become your vision and your mission for your church. Now, where do you get a vision and a mission statement. As a church, we look to the Bible. Specifically, we look to Jesus and what he calls his disciples to do, the people that followed him, that that followed his instruction and tried to obey him throughout their lives. And so as a church, we look at Christ and his purpose for ministry. We want something very similar to be our purpose for ministry. Jesus' ministry began with a purpose. We're going to read verses 14 and 15. We're going to read through the text and talk about the purpose of Christ's ministry. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Jesus' ministry began with a purpose. So this, this, this section of text, we haven't quite gotten to it, but you heard uh, Diana read it, where Jesus gives a sermon. He, he reads a text in a synagogue. And the, the author of the Gospel of Luke was a man named Luke, and he was highly educated, and he knew how to structure a story. And if you are to look at the other gospel accounts, Matthew and Mark, you would see that this story of Jesus is actually placed later in those accounts. So it comes later in the story. But if you were to read Luke, well, the the author intentionally put this little text, this little section, earlier in the story. Because it's it's like the first chapter of Jesus' ministry. What Jesus says here in this text kind of paints the picture for his future, for what he's going to do, what his disciples are going to do. It's almost, the text doesn't say it, but it's almost like a vision statement or a purpose statement for Jesus' ministry. Our ministry also begins with a purpose. You can go ahead and put those vision and mission statements back up. So how do we define our vision 
as a church plant. Our vision is what we want to become and accomplish. Our mission is how we carry out our vision. We also have something called core values, uh, which are, are kind of the DNA. They're the primary characteristics of who we are. And if you come back the very first Saturday, uh, Saturday afternoon at 5, last time I was messing that up, uh, if you come back the first Saturday in November, we're actually going to start another series called the Cornerstone Core, in which we're going to take one core value at a time and go through them. But I'm not going to tell you here tonight because I want you to come back. So our vision, what we want to become and accomplish, is a gospel-centered church that changes lives through sharing the message of Jesus Christ in word and in deed. Now, we're going to talk mostly about the word tonight. What does it mean to change people with the word of God, with the gospel, with the good news? Next week, we're going to talk about deed What does it mean to change people, to share the message of Jesus Christ in deed? And then the final three weeks, we're going to talk about making followers of Jesus, maturing them, and multiplying them. Now, these are all important, having a vision, a mission, and and sort of the core values. Now, uh, imagine for a moment if you didn't have any things, any any of these things, and let's say we were going to go on a, a road trip. Right, let's say you want to go on a road trip, uh, and you're like, well, I'm not going to start out with a destination in mind. I'm not going to take a map, and I'm sure it'll be fun. Well, you're right. It might actually be really fun. You might end up at some place awesome, but because you don't know where you're going and you don't know how you're going to get there, you might miss some amazing sights. Monica and I want to one day travel to Alaska on a road trip. We want to drive to Alaska. Alaska is kind of our vision, where we want to get to. It's our destination. And we should probably take a map. We should probably take a GPS so we know how to get there. That's kind of the mission, is the map. Because if we don't know how we're going to get to Alaska, uh, there's, there's there's a highway called the Alcan, the Alaska Highway. And when they originally built it, it went, uh, you know, it took a kind of around the thumb, around the elbow kind of route. I think it was 17 or 1800 miles. And now, if you're to drive the Alcan, it's only about 1300 miles because they made it more direct. And so we might end up at our vision without planning how we're going to do that, but it'll probably take us longer. And so how we're going to get to our vision is by making and maturing and multiplying followers of Jesus. And if you're wondering where the core values fit into this illustration, it's really the camper uh, because it's the everyday that you experience, the, the things that you value every day. Our vision, mission, and values are based on Jesus' purpose for his ministry. And so let's read the next couple verses as we read kind of Jesus' purpose. Verse 16, he, Jesus, went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus' purpose is to change lives with his words. Jesus' purpose is to change lives with his words. And this certainly doesn't encapture the whole purpose of Christ's coming. This is a simplified way of looking at it. And when I say this, I'm not saying that Jesus is like Tony Robbins or Zig Ziglar, you know, a motivational speaker that can get you to your next kind of level in life. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that Jesus came to change people by the things he said because something about what he spoke, something about what he preached was special, was different than what anyone else had ever preached And the reason for this is Jesus' words are the very words of God. The words of Christ are the words of the God who rules over the universe. In verse 18, if you look at verse 18, uh, Jesus tells his audience, so he's, he's preaching in a synagogue, he's in his hometown of Nazareth. He preaches to them and he says, I am anointed. Now, Jesus in verse 21 says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So in other words, Jesus is saying, here's here's a text that I'm taking from Isaiah. So he picked up the scroll from Isaiah. He read the scroll, and then he's saying to the audience, this scroll, this message, this text is happening right now, in this very moment. In other words, he's saying, I'm the anointed one that this text refers to. Jesus is saying, that he is anointed. And the word anointed is translated a variety of ways, but there's actually two words that you're familiar with that mean anointed or anointed one. The word Christ. The word Christ means anointed one. So when you say Jesus Christ, whether in a good way or a bad way, you are saying Jesus, the anointed one. And there's another thing that the, uh, there's another way that you can say anointed one, and that's Messiah. Messiah and Christ both mean anointed one. They both mean the same thing. Messiah is in Hebrew, Christ is in Greek, but they both mean anointed. Now, if you were to look back in the story of Israel, and the story of the Old Testament, uh, you would learn that only certain people are anointed. Only special people are anointed. Now, the nation of Israel didn't have a king for, for many, many years. They were, they were led uh, or kind of ruled by judges and prophets. But eventually they asked for a king and God said, okay, I will give you a king. And the way that God picked a king for the nation of Israel is by sending one of his prophets to anoint the man. And so if you were to read uh, in 1 Samuel, you would read about the story of the prophet uh, Samuel anointing a man named Saul. And then you would read later about him anointing a man named David. And these were the first kings of Israel, Saul, David, and then later David's son Solomon. These were all anointed with oil. And so when Jesus is saying, I'm anointed, he's saying, I'm a king. I'm chosen. I am set apart by God. 
And it's cool because if you look in chapter 3 of Luke, the chapter right before our chapter, you would see the anointing of Jesus. It hints in verse 18 where uh, verse 18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. So somehow the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God, anointed Jesus. And we see this at the baptism of Jesus. Some of you may know the story that uh, Jesus came to the Jordan and there was a man named uh, John who was a prophet. And he was preaching and baptizing people. And he baptized Jesus. And then uh, uh, something crazy happened, something miraculous. The Holy Spirit descended from heaven in the form of a dove. Landed on him, and the father said, there was this voice that came from heaven and said, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Jesus was anointed by God. And this means that when Jesus speaks, God is speaking. And so we should listen to the words of Jesus. Now, what if I were to say there is a man on the Westford Common and he's giving a speech Maybe none of you would run up there. But what if I were to say the President of the United States is giving a speech on the Westford Common? Whether you agree with him or not, you'd probably be at least interested. Jesus has has authority far greater than any elected official. He is chosen. He is anointed by God. So we should listen when Jesus speaks. Jesus' words are God's words, but Jesus' words are also good words. Now, the verse talks about Jesus proclaiming good news to the poor. This word for proclaiming good news is the word gospel. So gospel is kind of a funny word, and it just means good news. We are a gospel-centered church at Cornerstone, and when we say that, that means we are a good news-centered church. And that doesn't mean we just, you know, celebrate good things that are happening in the world. There's a certain good news that we care about. And that's the good news that Jesus delivers to the poor. Jesus preaches a message of hope, a good message to the poor. So that's an interesting question. Do we need God then? Because uh, as far as I know, Westford is not known for being poor. It's not known for being an impoverished town. Now, Matthew, Luke tells us that Jesus does have a special place for the poor and that he goes and pursues them. But Matthew 5.3 also tells us, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes when we hit hard times, it's easier for us to see God. But what God is asking for, what Christ is very much asking for, is for us to come before him in this poor in spirit way, to come before God humbly and say, God, when I stand before you, I am nothing. I am hum- I'm, I'm broken. I'm sinful. I need you, God, to save me. I need you, God, to heal me. The gospel, the good news, is that those who are poor in spirit and willing to humble themselves before God become rich. We become spiritually rich in Jesus. Because God gives us salvation. God gives us an eternity spent with Christ. Jesus' words are God's words and they're also good words. So what does Jesus do with his words? He preaches a message of forgiveness and freedom. 
Now, the word for freedom in verse 18 is used elsewhere in Luke. But every other time, almost every other time it's used, it means forgiveness. See, Jesus has come to preach a message of forgiveness. Jesus demonstrated in his ministry that he had the authority to forgive people of their sins. He did this by healing the blind, by healing uh, the, the, the mute, the, the broken, by raising the dead. Proving that he has the power to forgive sins. See, Jesus, when he forgives you, he breaks you out of a type of jail. A spiritual jail. And when Jesus breaks someone out of jail, he doesn't just break them out, he pardons them. Now, some of you may have heard of Mark Wahlberg. He's a a local boy, and he grew up, and he became a big Hollywood movie star. But uh, when he was younger, he did some things that he's now ashamed of. He grew up in Dorchester. And he, he has some felonies on his record, and he recently petitioned Governor Charlie Baker that the governor would pardon him that he would clean his record, that he would wipe his record away. And I don't know if the governor will do it, but I do know that if you are willing to come before Christ and say, God, I am guilty, I am guilty, and I need you to pardon my record, God will do it. So you don't have to live guilty anymore. Maybe some of you have heard of these concepts I say them lightly, but I I want to say them, the the concepts of Catholic guilt or Jewish guilt. Maybe there's a different type of guilt that you're familiar with, your religious guilt. Well, my wife, Monica, was at a party in college not feeling guilty uh, when her and another girl went outside to talk about God, and they were kind of looking up at the stars. And this girl joked, she said, I think there probably is something out there. But you know, I was raised Catholic, so any of these kinds of thoughts just end with me feeling guilty. Wow. Friends, we don't have a faith that's supposed to lead to guilt. We have a faith that begins in guilt as we recognize our sins. But believing in Jesus, man, he wipes away our guilt so that we can live in freedom, so that we can be set free And you know what? Sometimes it's religious people. It's the people that come to church that need to be reminded of this. Jesus is preaching in a synagogue. He's preaching in a Jewish place of worship to religious people. You and I need to be reminded of the forgiveness that we have in Christ. We don't need to have our own sense of sin uh, in our faces every single day. If you trust in Jesus, he takes it away. Our vision as a church is to share this message, is to change the message that forgiveness is available to all. You'll put your trust in Christ. This is the message of Jesus Christ in word. You know what? There's something special about the words of Jesus. I truly believe that Jesus' words can change your life. Jesus' words can change your life. This is the main point I'm bringing before you today, that the words of Jesus can utterly revolutionize your life. When Jesus read from Isaiah, there was power in his reading. Let me read verses 20 and 21 and see if you can see the power in Jesus' reading. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. 
The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Everyone was looking at Jesus. They were looking at him. Their eyes were fastened on him because there was something special about the way that Jesus read from his word. Now, I'm going to tell you a mystery. And like all good mysteries, this mystery is meant to confuse you. Not only are Jesus' words the words of God, Jesus is the word of God. Not only is Jesus preaching a word from God, Jesus is the very word of God. John 1 tells us that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus is the word. He is sent from God. He is God the Son. And he becomes on God's behalf so that you and I can know God. Because if God did not send his word in his son, you and I could never know peace. We could never know freedom. We could never know Christ Jesus. We could never know healing. Jesus' words can change your life because Jesus is the word of God. So how can you respond to this message? Well, if you don't know God... Stop asking God to show himself to you. That's kind of an interesting statement. Stop asking God to show himself to you. Because you're using the wrong sense. There's five senses. You're using sight. God tells us that, yes, one day he will come back. Jesus will come back. But then it'll be too late. Use a different sense. Use the sense of hearing. Begin to listen to God's word. Begin to ask God to speak to you, to proclaim freedom to you, the captive. One of the ways you can do that is by taking a free Bible home this week. If you don't have a Bible, take it. Read through the Gospel of Luke and then come back next week so that you can hear more words from Christ. Jesus' words can change your life. I'm going to invite Andy up to uh, play as we close. I truly believe uh, that there is no, nothing more powerful than, than the Bible and Jesus' words. Uh, but instead of me trying to kind of prove this to you with an interesting story at the end of the message, our vision is to be a word-centered, a gospel-centered church. And so I want you to experience the very words of Christ Because Jesus spoke very meaningful and powerful things to people just like you 2,000 years ago. The words he spoke uh, are contained in the Bible. If you take one of the Gospels home, one of the Bibles home, you'll see them in red. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I'm going to read these words and I want you to listen as if Christ is speaking directly to you. Listen to these words and imagine that Jesus is speaking these words to you. Go ahead, Andy. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Hear these words as if Christ is speaking them directly to you. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. It is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. 
I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Hear these words as if Jesus is speaking them directly to you. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Hear these words as if Jesus is speaking them directly to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will, not, will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Hear these last two as if Christ is speaking them to you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' words can change your life. Let's pray. Father God, would these words change us? Would the very word of God move us? Would we hear you speaking to our hearts today, Lord? And would we come back to hear even more? I lift up the offering before you as we respond to your words. Would you bless it? In Jesus' name, amen.